Welcome to the third season of Fisher Link, presented by Fisher Inc., a podcast for the Fisher College of Business to highlight stories in and around Ohio State that you may not have heard about. My name is Paige Palmer, and we're excited to bring our listeners another year's worth of notable stories and interesting guests. This week, we're joined by Imran Nuri. Imran is a fourth-year student at The Ohio State University Fisher College of Business, who recently started his own nonprofit organization called The 52 Million Project. Today, Imran is here to share more about the organization and why he decided to start his own nonprofit. Imran, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me here. So, could you just start by telling us a little bit more about your background as a student and what inspired you to start The 52 Million Project? Yeah, so I've lived in Columbus since 2003, so not born here, but definitely raised here. It's definitely home. Um, but I think my inspiration for the 52 Million projects started before Ohio State, and I'll get into how Ohio State played into that. But like for me as a kid, my mom kept a jar above the fridge that at the end of every week, she'd give me a couple dollars to put in the jar. And, uh, and at the end of the, every month, she would donate it to like a village in India. And her thing was that, yeah, we might be struggling financially, but there are a lot of other people around the world who need this money more than we do, even if it, even if it doesn't make sense to, to be giving money away when we can barely afford what we have right now. Um, and so that's how I learned how to be like a philanthropist, was to donate a couple dollars at the end of every week. But I think I didn't realize how closely I held that value of giving until I got into high school and I got really involved with Dublinthon, which is like a smaller version of Buckeithon. Um, and it's actually one of Buckeithon's programs. And I got super involved in that. I saw the power of bringing people together to do good for others. And I was just like, I was so moved by that. I thought like, we can do anything if everybody just comes together. Um, so I got, I threw myself into that fully and then I came to Ohio State and my number one reason for coming to Ohio State was Buckeithon. I, I was like, look at these people who can come together and take over the entire union and raise one point, I think it was $3 million, $1.3 million at the time. Uh, and I was like, I have to be a part of that. That is giving at a, at a next level I've never been a part of before. So I came to Ohio State, threw my whole self into Buckeithon as well and yeah, I saw room for improvement. I saw ways that we could reach more of campus, reach more of our Columbus community, and grow in in, in really big ways that that Buckeithon does every year. So I spent you know hours and hours, probably twenty to thirty hours a week as a freshman and sophomore, working to get to the point where, as a junior, I had the chance to serve as the president of Buckeithon, which was like a dream come true and a lot of work and it was super intense. It was probably 40 to 50 hours a week on top of classes and other involvements. So it was definitely a, an intense year. Um, but I learned a lot and I learned a lot and met a lot of people and you know, I, I figured out what it takes to be on the grind and run a nonprofit and, and, and just give back to the community in big ways. And uh, as, I, as I served in that role through Buckeithon, I learned a lot more about how important and possible it is to get a lot of people to give small amounts together. Like Buckeithon's average donation size is fifty dollars. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, like you know, give or take a dollar each year. So we get almost thirty thousand donors to give that one point seven million dollars a year, and then it grows each year. We get more donors, more participants, things like that. Um, and my thing was that Buckeithon needed to focus more on recurring donors because we don't like we have a huge donor turnover each year and that's fine because we still increase our total every year but you know i was like what if we got a million people to donate just one dollar a week almost anybody can afford that and 
you know, that would be $52 million a year. And my whole thing was anybody can be a philanthropist, that it's not always about giving a million or billion dollars a year. Sometimes it's as little as giving a dollar a week. And if you do that together, that's even more impactful. So yeah, I took a step back from Buckeye Thon for my last year at Ohio State to focus on starting the 52 million project because I really believe in it and I really believe that anybody can be a philanthropist. And I was like, while Buckeye Thon is very important, it's very close to my heart and I'm still involved with it. I was like, I have more important work than I believe I can be doing. Absolutely. That's absolutely amazing. And especially getting your start here at Ohio State through Buckeye Thon is is so cool. So as a student, kind of what is that process like then for starting your organization, you know, really starting from the ground up? Yeah, I think I was always told that, especially as a Fisher student, you, as a junior, find a great internship for a wonderful company and you go do that internship and then you, you work really hard, do a good job, you get a full-time offer and you're set and secure, you can chill out for senior year and then you, know, you have a great full-time job after. Um, but as I realized that I needed to focus on the 52 million project and knowing, having talked to a lot of other entrepreneurs before and they're all like, yeah, there's no life balance with when you're an entrepreneur and you know, you really have to put everything into it to get it up and running the right way. I knew I needed to not take an internship. So I didn't even look for one. I was like, I know what I need to do this summer and that's work full time on the 52 million project. Um, so you know, I stayed in Columbus this summer and, and I did that and uh, Sarah Manjan in the Fisher Leadership Initiative was great uh, gracious enough to give me an office space there and work on that full-time over the summer so I had a dedicated space to go to for a couple weeks I was doing you know just full-time out of Thompson I would go there for a few hours come home for lunch go back and come home for dinner and then try to have some semblance of a life balance uh, while I could and I, I think that that choice to not do it on my side but to focus full-time on it has put me in a really good spot you know I was like this is something that can impact people really quickly in really big ways. And I would be selfish to, you know, work a full-time job somewhere else while starting this on the side and delaying it for maybe a year longer than it had to be. So, you know, we're at a point where we want to launch in January. And it, that that is only possible because I had the chance to work on it full-time over the summer and fill out all the forms I needed to fill out and develop the idea, develop the business plan, and do everything I need to do to make it as feasible as possible. Absolutely. And I'm sure with any business, there's always kind of the unexpected things that you don't anticipate. So was there anything really unexpected that you didn't think was going to take as long as it did or was more difficult than you thought it was going to be? Yeah. One of the, I think some of the biggest things that I found to be unexpected were like laws and forms I had to fill out for states. So for example, uh, something I haven't gotten to yet, but we will eventually, is that almost every single state requires that you register with them to be able to fundraise in their state. So even if I'm putting like an Instagram ad out there in Nebraska that says, hey, come donate uh, with the 52 million project and help solve these global issues, um, that would be soliciting a donation. And so I would have to apply to be able to do that. And I can't remember if Nebraska is one of the states that doesn't actually need it, but all in all, if you want to do that for all 50 states, it costs almost $11,000 in filing fees alone. Um, and each of those are very nuanced. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll probably end up hiring a company to do that for us the same way Ohio State has. I was talking to the person who did that here, uh, and she was like, yeah, it's a huge pain in the butt, and uh, it's a lot of work and a lot of very specific legal jargon that you have to deal with. So they hired somebody else, and it was totally worth the investment to do that. That was a big surprise to find out. <laughs> That's something that has to happen to be a nonprofit. Um, 
I think another surprise was finding out that to become tax exempt federally, that process can take six to six to twelve months, sometimes even longer. Um, and actually filing that form took me maybe 200, 200 plus hours, and that was crazy. It was like twenty three pages of check yes or no to this question. If you say yes, you have to include an attachment that fu- explains it fully. So all in all, it was like sixty one pages of legal jargon that I had to submit. I did that on my own, so. Um, that was definitely unexpected. Um, I think I think it's in, in terms of like the idea itself and the, the structure of the project. I don't think that one had too many unexpected challenges. I think just the more I sat down and thought about it and talked about it with other people and got their feedback, the idea were fine, but it never changed a lot from any you know the initial thought of how it would be. Fantastic. Now there's a whole lot of red tape that I don't think most people would ever think about. So you mentioned that you guys are looking to launch in January now. So kind of where are you at right now? What's currently in the works for launching this nonprofit? Yeah. So right now our website is just a single landing page. It just says 1 million people, $1 a week. That's $52 million a year to global issues. Uh, And it allows people to sign up for an email list. It says coming soon, it says it gives my contact information, but there's nothing else. It doesn't give the story of why, it doesn't give where the money, it doesn't even list where three areas of impact will be. Uh, so right now, the next step is creating our website. And so our, we have, I have one other person working with me on this. His name's Nick Stewart. He's our vice president of design. He's designed out our full website. We just have to send it off to somebody to code it. Um, and that website will be really simple and easy to use. And we, you know, we designed it that way so that it would match the way that giving a dollar a week should be. It's, it should be easy and simple and, uh, you know, it shouldn't be complicated, right? So we've designed the website, we're building it out. It should be done within the next month at the most. Uh, and another neat feature that it has is that when you start donating, you get an account that gives you your, your a summary of how you're giving. It gives you your primary impact, your secondary impact, and referral links. And so like when you share a referral link with your friend and your friend starts giving through that link, their giving becomes your secondary impact because you're limited by us to only giving $52 a year. Like even if you want to give more, we'll send you to another organization to do that. We're saying everybody here is the same. This is 1 million people coming together to do the same, do good together. Um, so that secondary feature will hopefully be a way that people can spread it organically. You know, even we have like 300 people following our Instagram and like 200 on our email list for now. And those are people who are very, very passionate about the idea and want to see it behind the scenes before it gets started. Um, And I know we can count every single one of them to be some of our first donors. So even if we have 200 people starting to give and they're passionate about it and they share it to an average of three other people, I mean, you know, it's very quickly going to add up to tens of thousands of dollars just by spreading it organically like that. So that's the next step is creating that website. And then we've been working on creating marketing materials as well. So we're creating all these online advertisements and things that tell our story and things that are impactful and saying that this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to teach that anybody can be a philanthropist. And so we'll be putting out a lot of that. And then we'll have a huge launch party in January and then it'll be, it'll be real and happening. And we'll be collecting those donations and, you know, having a presence on campus in Columbus and then spreading out from there. Fantastic. Sounds like a good plan so far. Thanks. Switching gears a little bit, um, how do you think that your college experience here at Ohio State, you touched on Buckeye Thon, but just at Ohio State in general has kind of prepared you to start this organization? Yeah. I think I've had a a weird array of experiences at Ohio State. I worked at the RPAC for a year and a half when I came to Ohio State, which is weird because I don't even work out. (laughs) So I did that. I joined Buckeye Thon, of course, from the beginning. I knew I loved to teach people how to give, so I helped start an organization called the Student Philanthropy Council. And... 
I did that. I became a part of the presidential host program, which is like a student presence at the university's like high profile events. I worked at university advancement and some people don't even know what advancement is. They're marketing, uh, development and the alumni association of Ohio state development is like that fundraising arm. Mm -hmm. So I worked in their IT department for whatever reason. And like, that's why I say I had a weird array. Like I am not into IT. I don't work out. (laughs) You know, I, I did all these random things that contributed to me being like, almost well-rounded in weird ways. Um, Like, for example, if I hadn't worked at University Advancement IT, I wouldn't have met the people, some of the people who were on my board of trustees, and I wouldn't have met, uh, you know, some of the people have given me the biggest opportunities, and I wouldn't have been as capable to be the president of Buckeye-Thon or to be able to start a nonprofit, too. I mean, that was essential to my experience in learning a lot. And I think my Fisher involvement is honors cohort, which, if anything, taught me that I don't want to go into the corporate world, uh, you know, we had a chance to go to Chicago and San Francisco so far, and we got to meet with business leaders there. And, you know, if we were, you know, this, this isn't to like poop on Goldman Sachs, but, you know, we're sitting in Goldman Sachs and there's multi-million dollar artwork to my left and right. And that's only one, one room in that 30 story building. I was like, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. Um, you know, that's a million dollars that could have been spent on feeding people in third world countries who are going to die tomorrow if they don't have a meal today. Um, so, uh, you know, my involvements have taught me everything I needed to know and, and, and in all their unique ways subtly guide me towards realizing that, you know, I don't want to be an investment banker, even though I maybe thought I did before. And, uh, you know, I don't want to be in a massive company where I'm a cog in the machine. I want to be in a small, even if I was working for, you know, traditional investment banking or anything like that. I would hope I was in like a community bank where I feel like I show up to work and I am important to the operation of that day where I'm not easily replaceable. So I think all my experiences led to unique realizations and opportunities and, you know, all of it played into its own weird way of getting me to where I'm at right now. Absolutely. So who are some of, you've mentioned a couple of people, but who are some of the people who've helped you, you know, get this project off the ground and, um, you know, how, how did you get in contact with them and sort of bring them on board? Yeah. So I think this starts in November of 2018. That's when Bucketathon's re-election process sort of happens. It's not an election. It's an application process. But uh, I was like, should I reapply to be president again? And when I initially applied to be president for my junior year, I was like, yeah, I could totally do a two-year term and carry out a two-year vision. And that would be awesome. Like most people don't get to do that. Uh, but I could because I'm in a unique position. And when it came time to maybe apply for a second year, I started talking to a lot of my mentors. I talked to the advisor of Buckeye Thon. His name is Felix Alonzo. I talked to Ty Shepherd here in Fisher. Um, I talked to my brother. I talked to some of my friends who were on the exec board at the time. I remember in particular, uh, one conversation I had was with a, a Buckeye graduate named Abby Rieger. She was on the executive board of Buckeye Thon at the time. And I was like, Abby, you know, let's talk about the vision for Buckeye-thon. And she, you know, we were just spitballing ideas. And I was like, you know, we need to get more recurring donors. Let's get a million people to donate a dollar a week. And I literally said to her, we could call it a 52 million project. And now she's on my board because I was like, she's super into the nonprofit industry and world. And she's awesome, has great advice, is not afraid to give honest feedback. And, you know, she was somebody who heard the idea from the beginning. But then when it came time to, like, reapply, you know, People pushed me in different ways. They were like, yeah, you could carry out your vision in Buckeye-thon, keep doing what you're doing. 
you know, solidify your network there. Um, but some of them were like, you know, what would you, what would, what, what decision would you make? Would you work for the 52 million project and getting up off the ground, or would you apply for Buckeyeathon again if you only have five years to live? And I was like, whoa, that's deep and uh, scary to think about. But it's true, you know, like tomorrow is not a promise. And I was like, as much as I love Buckeyeathon, I believe that the 52 million project, if created in the right way and launched in the right way, has the potential to impact more than than what Buckeyeathon's doing right now. Um, Obviously, fifty-two million dollars can go quite a bit further than um, than than one point seven. That's not to say Buckethon's not doing important work. That's just to say that I believe that if, if I only had a few years left to live, or if I only had a year left to live, you know, I would start this up and do it in the right way, hand it off, and make it happen, and give it the potential to be able to do that fifty-two million dollars a year impact with a million people and bring that many people together to do good. Um, and that was like that was a question my brother asked me. That was when I knew. I was like, okay, this is the right time to do it, to step back from everything. I have you know, one year left of college. I have the least responsibility I'll ever have for the rest of my life, and this is the perfect time to do it. If not now, there will never be another ideal time. You know, I graduate, get a full-time job, maybe start a family, and, you know, I don't want to be an absent uh, you know, partner or dad or anything like that in the future. So this felt like the right time to do it. No, that's a crazy way to think about it, but definitely a really good way. Um, kind of building off of that then, what advice would you offer to other students who maybe, you know, they have an idea for a company or for a nonprofit and they're just waiting to get it off the ground? What would you say to them? Yeah. Uh, well, I know when I came into Ohio State, I was like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to drop out. <laughs> I literally <laughs> said that at orientation um, and I'm not going to drop out, but uh, I, I didn't know what, what that idea would be. I knew I wanted to start something. I knew I wanted to be my own boss. I knew I wanted to, uh, you know, I, I wanted to do something innovative and creative. And uh, it, it, it didn't happen until now my senior year, right? And a lot happened in the past three years to get me to this point. So, like, as I'm thinking about other students who are maybe freshly coming into Ohio State or, you know, you're deep in your Fisher involvements or anything like that, um, and you're just you know, craving to be an entrepreneur, I'd say, take your time and think about it. Like one of the first questions I set out to answer when I was starting to work on the 52 million project was, does this even need to happen? Would my time and resources be better used to support somebody who's doing something similar or somebody who could, who's already, you know, somebody who's already doing that? Could I enhance somebody else's project rather than create my own? And yeah, I eventually came to the conclusion, of course, that I, I believe I needed to do this and create something new. But for any other students out there who are like, I want to start a business, nonprofit, whatever it is, I'd say meet the right people, start to develop an idea, get the right feedback, and get the right mentors who are super dedicated to being there to, you know, give you honest feedback. Like, for example, one of the people on my board, his name is Zawar Khan. He also graduated from Ohio State. And Zawar, like, he was somebody who I looked at as a friend, and then I realized he's more of a mentor because no matter what I was doing, whether it was my photography or it was Buckeye.org, work, he was so unafraid to come to me and tell me exactly what he thought, whether it was positive or negative, and he went out of his way to do that. So I keep Zawar really close because I know he, I can count on him to refine my ideas and put me in my place where I need to be put in my place, you know. Um, so for, yeah, for anybody out there who might be wanting to start a business, like, don't rush into it too much. I could have definitely rushed into it and launched it right now, but it would be a mess. Um, and that's why we're taking the next couple of months to plan it out and launch it. And I, I believe that it's going to be successful not only because I have 
the right people on board, but also because I took my time to make it happen. And, um, you know, the plan is well developed and we're preparing for success rather than, you know, take, rather than improvising every single day and figuring it out along the way. Well, fantastic. I think it's an absolutely amazing idea and I'm so excited to see you guys launch it and see where it goes. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this week and sharing your experience with the 52 Million Project. If anybody listening would like to learn more about the project, you can visit their website at 52millionproject.org, sign up for email updates, and purchase merchandise. Imam, thank you so much again. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. And that's it for this week's episode of Fisher Link. Fisher Link is presented by Fisher Inc., the student-run magazine for the Fisher College of Business. I'm Paige Palmer. This episode was edited by our sound designer, Connor Bueller. The president of Fisher Inc. is Lily Wong. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. You can find Fisher Link on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and on fisherincmag.com, where you can also stay up to date on Fisher Inc. news stories. Thanks for listening to our guest today, and we'll see you next time.